What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Before I start the show, I feel like there should be a warning. I'm reading public domain books and short stories and whatever else. Uh, Some of it may be offensive. I don't read these things before, so I don't review it, so it's kind of just by chance. So if anything in here is offensive, or most likely with these really old books, uh, bigoted, uh, don't hold me responsible. I'll be just as surprised as you are. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glenn Nuzzles. Hey, fellas. I'm trying a new thing. Hey, fellas. What's going on with me? I really don't have anything to talk about. Basically, my life has been frozen in time since five or six recordings ago. Still can't get contractors to come over to my house to uh, tear down trees. I can't get a contractor to come over to fix a water pipe. Um, they make plans. They say they'll show up at a certain time and a certain day, and then they just don't show up. And then they'll call back a day later and reschedule and not show up for that either. So, um, I think there's a promise. I have one guy who's supposed to come today, and he wants to barter, which I think is pretty funny. He wants me to work on his website. And I thought, whatever it takes to get you here, I don't care. So, I might be working on a handyman's uh, website, which will be weird. Um, beyond that... I'm recording in my bedroom again, because my basement's gross. So, you're going to hear a lot of airplanes flying overhead, and maybe a yowling cat. I've won the fly wars. Uh, The flies uh, aren't coming in anymore. So that's good. Though one fly was in here this morning. But I blame the girlfriend for letting it in. Um, And I'm not going to complain about the girlfriend letting a fly in. Uh, She's none of your business. Um, beyond that, I'm going out tonight. A friend is coming in from out of town, and I'm going to visit him. That's about it. So, uh, this episode, I'm still dragging my feet. I don't really want to read a full story, apparently. So I found two short stories I'm going to read today. Uh, The first one called, Thus I Refute Beelzey which is a story I remember from when I was a kid, being read by Vincent Price on a really creepy audiobook thing of his. And another one called Chubu and Sheemish from the Book of Wonder. So, uh, enjoy the episode. Thus, I refute Beals- Beelsley. Beelsley. 
that's how it's pronounced, by John Collier. There goes the tea bell, said Mrs. Carter. I hope Simon hears it. They looked out from the window of the drawing room. The long garden, agreeably neglected, ended in a waste plot. Here, a little summer house was passing close by, a beauty on its way to complete decay. This was Simon's retreat. It was almost completely screened by the tangled branches of the apple tree and pear tree, planted and too close together as they always are in the suburbs. They caught a glimpse of him now and then as he strutted up and down, mouthing and gesticulating, performing all the solemn mumbo-jumbo of small boys who spend long afternoons at the forgotten ends of long gardens. There he is, bless him, said Betty. Playing his game, said Mrs. Carter. He won't uh, play with the other children anymore. If I go down there, the temper, exclamation point, and comes in tired out, exclamation point. He doesn't have his sleep in the afternoons, as Betty. You know what big Simon's ideas are, said Mrs. Carter. Let him choose for himself, he says. That's what he chooses, and he comes in as white as a sheet. Look, he's heard the bell, said Betty. The expression was justified. Though the bell had ceased ringing a full minute ago, small Simon stopped in his parade exactly as if its tinny dingle had at that moment reached his ear. They watched him perform certain ritual sweeps and scratchings with his little stick and come lagging over the hot and flaggy grass toward the house. Mrs. Carter led the way down to the playroom, or garden room, which was also the tea room for hot days. It had been the huge scullery of his tall Georgian house. Now the walls were cream-washed. There was coarse blue net in the windows, canvas-covered armchairs on the stone floor, and a reproduction of Van Gogh's sunflowers over the mantelpiece. Small Simon came drifting in and accorded Betty a perfunctory greeting. His face was almost a perfect triangle, pointed at the chin, and he was paler than he should have been. The little elf child, cried Betty. Simon looked at her. No, he said. At that moment, the door opened, and Mr. Carter came in, rubbing his hands. He was a dentist and washed them before and after everything he did. You, said his wife, home already. Not unwelcome, I hope, said Mr. Carter, nodding to Betty. Two people canceled their appointments. I decided to come home, I said. I'm not uh, unwelcome. Silly, said his wife. Of course not. Small Simon seemed doubtful, continued Mr. Carter. Small Simon, are you sorry to see me at tea with you? Uh, No, Daddy. No what? (sighs) No, Big Simon. That's right. Big Simon and Small Simon. That sounds more like friends, doesn't it? At one time, little boys had to call their father, Sir. And if they forgot, a good spanking. On the bottom, Small Simon, on the bottom, said Mr. Carter, washing his hands once more with his invisible soap and water. The little boy turned crimson with shame or rage. But now, you see, said Betty, to help, you can call your father whatever you like. And what, asked Mr. Carter, has small Simon been doing this afternoon while big Simon has been at work? Nothing, muttered his son. Then you have been bored, 
said Mr. Carter. Learn from experience, small Simon. Tomorrow, do something amusing, and you will not be bored. I want him to learn from experience, Betty. That is my way, the new way. I have learned, said the boy, speaking like an old tired man, as little boys so often do. It would hardly seem so, said Mr. Carter. If you sit on your behind all afternoon doing nothing, had my father caught me doing nothing, I should not have sat very comfortably. He played, said Mrs. Carter. A bit, said the boy, shifting in his chair. Too much, said Mrs. Carter. He comes in all nervy and dazed. He ought to have his rest. He is sick, said her husband. He is a reasonable being. He must choose for himself. But... What game is this, small Simon, that's worth getting nervy and dazed over? There are very few games as good as that. It's nothing, said the boy. Oh, come, said his father. Are we friends? Are we not? You can tell me. I was a small Simon once, just like you, and played the same games you play. Of course, there were no airplanes in those days, but with whom do you play this fine game? Come on. We must all answer civil questions or the world would not go around. With whom do you play? Mr. Beelzy, said the boy, unable to resist. Mr. Beelzy, said his father, raising his eyebrows inquiringly at his wife. It's a game he makes up, said she. Not makes up, cried the boy. Fool! That is telling stories, said his mother. And rude as well. We had better talk of something different. No wonder he is rude, said Mr. Carter. If you say he tells lies and then insist on changing the subject, he tells you his fantasy. You implant a guilt feeling. What can you expect? A defense mechanism. Then you get a real lie. Like in these three, said Betty. Only different, of course. She was an unblushing little liar. I would have made her blush, said Mr. Carter in the proper part of her anatomy. But Small Simon is in the fantasy stage. Are you not Small Simon? You just make things up. No, I don't, said the boy. You do, said his father. And because you do, it's not too late to reason with you. There's no harm in fantasy, old chap. There's nothing wrong with a bit of make-believe. Only you must learn the difference between daydreams and real things, or your brain will never grow. It'll never be the brain of a big Simon. So come on, let us hear about this Mr. Beelzy of yours. Come on, what's he like? He isn't like anything, said the boy. Like nothing on earth, said his father. That's a terrible fellow. I'm not frightened of him, said the child, smiling. Not a bit. I should hope not, said his father. If you were, you would be frightening yourself. I am always telling people, older than you are, that they are just frightening themselves. Is he a, a funny man? Is he a giant? Sometimes he is, said a little boy. Sometimes one thing, sometimes another, said his father. Sounds pretty vague. Why can't you just tell us what he's like? I love him, said the small boy. He loves me. That's a big word, said Mr. Carter. That might be better kept for real things, like a big Simon and a small Simon. He is real, said the boy passionately. He's not a fool. He's real. Listen, said his father. And you go down to the garden. There's nobody there, is there? No, said the boy. Then you think of him inside your head and he comes. No, said small Simon. I have to make marks on the ground with my stick. 
That doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Small Simon, you are being obstinate, said Mr. Card. I am trying to explain something to you. I have been longer in this world than you have, so naturally I am older and wiser. I am explaining that Mr. Beelzey is a fantasy of yours. Do you hear? Do you understand? Yes, Daddy. He's a game. He's a... He's a... a let's pretend. The little boy looked down at his plate, smiling resignedly. I hope you're listening to me, said his father. All you have to do is say, I have been playing a game of let's pretend with someone I make up called Mr. Beelzey. Then no one will uh, say you tell lies. And you will know the difference between dreams and reality. Mr. Beelzey is a daydream. The little boy stared at his plate. He is sometimes there and sometimes not there, pursued Mr. Carter. Sometimes he's like one thing, sometimes another. You can't really see him, not as you see me. I am real. You can't touch him. You can touch me. I can touch you. Mr. Carter stretched out his big white dentist's hand and took his little son by the nape of his neck. He stopped speaking for a moment. He tightened his hand. The little boy shrank, oh, sank, his head still lower. Now you know the difference, said Mr. Carter, between a, a pretend and a real thing. You and I are one thing. He is another. Which is pretend? Come on, answer me. Which is pretend? Big Simon and Small Simon, said the boy. Don't, cried Betty, and at once put her hand over her mouth, for why should a visitor cry don't, when a father is explaining things in a scientific and modern way? Besides, it annoys the father. Well, my boy, said Mr. Carter, I have said you must be allowed to learn from experience. Go upstairs, right to your room, and you shall learn whether it is better to reason or to be perverse and obstinate. Go up. I shall follow you. You're not going to beat the child, cried Mrs. Carter. No, said the little boy. Mr. Beelzey won't let him. Go on up with you, shouted his father. Small Simon stopped at the door. He said he wouldn't let anyone hurt me, he whimpered. He said he'd come like a lion with wings on and eat them up. You'll learn how real he is, shouted his father after him. If you can't learn it at one end, you shall learn it at the other. There's a lot of very butt-focused jokes with this dad. I'll have your breeches down. I shall finish my cup of tea first, however, he said to the two women. Mm. Neither of them spoke. Mr. Carter finished his tea and unhurriedly left the room, washing his hands with his invisible soap and water. Mrs. Carter said nothing. Betty could think of nothing to say. She wanted to be talking, for she was afraid of what they might hear. Suddenly it came. It seemed to tear the air apart. Good God, she cried. What was that? He's heard him. She sprang out of her chair, her silly eyes flashing behind her glasses. I'm going up there, she cried, trembling. Yes, let us go up, said Mrs. Carter. Let us go up. That was not small Simon. It was on the second floor landing that they found the shoe, with the man's foot still in it, much like that last morsel of a mouse, which sometimes falls unnoticed from the side of the jaws of the cat. That's gross. So, uh, to get away from that disturbing story, let's uh, read about a new and upcoming book from Penguin Random House. This one's called Gross Anatomy, A Field Guide to Loving Your Body, Warts and All, by Maria Altman. Yeah, the category's humor. It's 320 pages, and it comes out on August 6th. You can pre-order it. Um, 
Let's learn about it. An honest, funny, neurotic, and totally gross love child of Mindy Kaling and Mary Roach. All right. Maria Altman's volatile and apprehensive relationship with her body has led her to wonder about a lot of stuff over the years. Like, who decided that women shouldn't have body hair? And how sweaty is too sweaty? Also, why is breast cleavage sexy but camel toes revolting? Isn't it all just cleavage? These questions, and others like them, have led to the comforting and sometimes smelly revelations that constitute gross anatomy, an essay collection about what it's like to operate the bags of meat we call our bodies. Divided into two sections, top half and bottom half, with cartoons scattered throughout, Altman's book takes the reader on a wild and relatable journey from a head to toe as she attempts to strike up a peace accord with our grody bits <laughs> with a combination of personal anecdotes and fascinating research gross anatomy holds up a magnifying glass to our beliefs practices biases and body parts and shows us the naked truth there is greatness in our grossness you want to read praise chelsea handler Comedian, comedian, I've wanted the language to discuss why I've been inadvertently disappointed with my sex and body since the day I looked a, a mirror in the eye. Here is a book that will set you free, wake you up, and get you on your own team. I am a woman, and I will now take pleasure in allowing you to hear me roar. NPR's All Things Considered, this book is like weirdly popular. It's an honest and often hilarious look at women's bodies, how we think of them, our practices, questions, and embarrassments. It's all on display, and Maria Altman is not shy about any of it. Publishers Weekly? Delightfully crass. Altman's level of research, coupled with her unique shade of humor, sets her series of essays apart. Kirkus Reviews? That's a name I'm familiar with. An enduringly outrageous attempt to demystify the female body while shedding light on the causes of female corporal insecurities. A simultaneously funny and informative memoir about the wonder of the human body. Eh, book list. The four. There's a ton. <laughs> Tori Telfer, author of The Lady Killers. Fortune to Jitterbug. Oh, John Ronson of The Psychopath Test. I read that a long time ago. Let's see what he has to say. I love how Gross Anatomy delightfully reveals Maria Altman's upbeat and life-affirming obsession with the human body, our loveliness, and not-so-loveliness. Lots of people will soon feel far more body-positive because of this book. Well, there you go. If you're looking for a book that's weird, uh, get Gross Anatomy by Maria Altman. Uh, It's coming out on the 6th. Enjoy. to the second short story, Chuboo and Sheemish, from the Book of Wonder by Lord Dunsey. It was the custom on Tuesdays in the Temple of Chuboo for the priest to enter at evening and chant, There is none but Chuboo. And all the people rejoiced and cried out, There is none but Chuboo. And honey was offered to Chuboo and maize and fat. Thus he was magnified. Chibu was an idol of some antiquity, as uh, may be seen from the color of the wood. He had been carved out of mahogany, 
and after he was carved, he had been polished. Then they had set him up on the Dorite pedestal with the brazier, brazier, B-R-A-Z-I-E-R, brazier, hmm, in front of it for burning spices and the flat gold plates for fat. Thus they worshipped Chibu. He must have been there for over a hundred years when one day the priest came in with another idol into the temple of Chibu and set it up on the pedestal near Chibu and sang, There is also Shemesh. And all rejoiced and cried out, There is also Shemesh. Shemesh was palpably a modern idol. And although the wood was stained with a dark red dye, you could see that he had only just been carved. And honey was offered to Shemesh as well as Chibu, and also maize and fat. The fury of Chibu knew no time limit. He was furious all that night, and the next day he was furious still. The situation called for immediate miracles. To devastate the city with a pestilence and kill all the priests was scarcely within his power. Therefore, he wisely concentrated such divine powers as he had in commanding a little earthquake. Thus, thought Chibu, I will reassert myself as the only god, and men shall spit upon Shemesh. Chibu willed it, and willed it, and still no earthquake came, when suddenly he was aware that the hated Shemesh was daring to attempt a miracle too. He ceased to busy himself about the earthquake and listen, or shall I say felt, for what Shemesh was thinking, for gods are aware of what passes in the mind by a sense that is other than any of our five. Shemesh was trying to make an earthquake too. The new god's motive was probably to assert himself. I doubt if Chibu understood or cared for his motive. It was sufficient for an idol already aflame with jealousy that his detestable rival was on the verge of a miracle. All the power of Chibu veered around at once and sat dead against the earthquake, even a little one. It was thus that the temple of Chibu for some time, and then no earthquake came. To be a god and to fail to achieve a miracle is a despairing sensation. It is as though men would should determine upon a hearty sneeze and as though no sneeze should come, it is as though one should try to swim in the heavy boots or remember a name that is utterly forgotten. All these pains were Shemesh's. And upon Tuesday the priest came in, and the people, and they did worship Chibu and offered fat to him, saying, Oh, Chibu, who made everything. And then the priest sang, There is also Shemesh. And Chibu was put to shame and spake not for three days. Now there were holy birds in the temple of Jibu, and when the third day was come and the night thereof, it was as it was revealed to the mind of Chibu that there was dirt upon the head of Shemesh. And Chibu spake unto Shemesh, as speak the gods, moving no lips, nor yet disturbing the silence, saying, There is dirt upon thy head, O Shemesh. All night long he muttered again and again, there is dirt upon Shemesh's head. And when it was dawn, the voices were heard far off. Chibu became exultant with earth's awakening things and cried out till the sun was high, Dirt, dirt, dirt upon the head of Shemesh. And at noon he said, So Shemesh would be a god. Thus was Shemesh confounded. And with Tuesday, one came and washed his head with rose water, and he was worshipped again when they sang, There is also Shemesh. 
And yet, Shibu was content, for he said, The head of Shemesh has been defiled. And again, His head was defiled, it is enough. And one evening, lo, there was dirt on the head of Chibu also, and the thing was perceived as Shemesh. It is not with the gods as it is with men. We are angry with one another and then turn from our anger again. But the wrath of the gods is enduring. Chibu remembered and Shemesh did not forget. They spake as we do not speak in silence yet heard of each other, nor were their thoughts as our thoughts. We should not judge them merely by human standards. All night long they spake and all night they said these words only. Dirty Chibu and Dirty Shemesh. Dirty Chibu, Dirty Shemesh, all night long. Their wrath had not tired at dawn, and neither had wearied of this accusation. And gradually, Chibu came to realize that there was nothing more than uh, the equal of Shemesh. All gods are jealous. But this equality with the upstart Shemesh, a thing of painted wood a hundred years newer than Chibu, and this worship given to Shemesh in Chibu's own temple was particularly bitter. Chibu was jealous even for a god, and when Tuesday came again, the third day of Shemesh's worship, Chibu could bear it no longer. He felt that his anger must be revealed at all costs, and he returned with all the vehemence of his will to achieving a little earthquake. The worshippers had just gone from his temple, and Chibu settled his will to attain this miracle. Now and then his meditations were disturbed by that now familiar dictum, Dirty Chibu, but Chibu willed ferociously, not even stopping to say what he longed to say and had already said nine hundred times, and presently even these interruptions ceased. They ceased because Shemesh had returned to a project that he had never definitely abandoned, the desire to assert himself and exalt himself over Chibu by performing a miracle. And the distinct being volcanic, he had chosen a little earthquake as the miracle most easily accomplished by a small god. Now an earthquake that is commanded by two gods has double the chance of fulfillment than when his will by one, and an incalculably, incalculably, oh boy, greater chance <laughs> when two gods are pulling different ways, as to take the case of older and greater gods when the sun and the moon pull in the same direction, we have the biggest tides. Chibu knew nothing of the theory of tides. He was much too occupied with his miracle to notice what Shemish was doing, and suddenly the miracle was an accomplished thing. It was a very local earthquake, for there are other gods than Chibu or even Shemish, and it was only a little one, as the gods had willed, but it loosed some monoliths in a colonnade that supported one side of the temple and the whole of the wall fell in. And the low huts of the people of that city were shaking a little, and some of their doors were jammed so that they would not open. It was enough, and for a moment it seemed that it was all. Neither Chibu nor Shemish commanded there should be more, but they had set in motion the old law older than Chibu, the law of gravity, that that colonnade had held back for a hundred years. And the temple of Chibu quivered, and then stood still, swayed once, and was overthrown on the heads of Chibu and Shemish. No one rebuilt it, for nobody dared to near the terrible gods. Some said that Chibu wrought the miracle, but some said Shemish, and thereof schism was born. The weakly amiable, alarmed by the bitterness of rival sects, sought compromise and said that both had rotted. 
but no one guessed the truth that the thing was done in rivalry. And a saying arose, and both sects held this belief in common, that whoso toucheth Chibu shall die, and whoso looketh upon Shemesh. That is how Chibu came into my possession when I traveled once beyond the hills of Ting. I found him in the fallen temple of Chibu with his hands and toes sticking up out of the rubbish, lying on his back. And in the attitude, just as I found him, I keep him to this day on my mantelpiece, as he is less liable to be upset that way. Shemesh was broken, so I just left him where he was. And there is something so helpless about Chibu, his fat hands stuck up in the air, that sometimes I am moved out of compassion to bow to him and pray, saying, Oh, Chibu, thou that made everything, help thy servant. Chibu cannot do much, though once I am sure that at a game of bridge he sent me the ace of trumps after I had not held a card worth having for the whole of the evening. And chance alone could have done as much as that for me, but do not tell this to Chibu. And there you have it. Uh, thus I refute Beasley and Chibu and Sheemish for your pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it. I guess I'll have to suck it up and start reading an actual book. So look for that in a couple days. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you.